Matthew chapter 25 and verses 1 to 13. And it's Jesus' words here. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Shall we pray for Phil? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for Phil. Thank you that he's a man after your heart. Thank you, Lord, for all that he's soaked in in this passage and uh, that you've prepared for him to give to us this morning. Lord, we pray your spirit will take it and plant it deep in our hearts. And may he be really blessed and encouraged himself as he teaches us. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Debbie. Good morning, Forest Hill. It's good to be with you. And um, it's good for you to be with me. Is that right? Yeah. Amen. Good. Um, This morning, we're going to be unpacking this passage and some themes that are pretty obvious from the text as we look at it. There are unwise actions and there are wise actions. There's waiting and there's how to wait and how not to wait. There's how to be ready. A warning about being too late because when the bridegroom does arrive, there's no more time. There's no more tomorrows. And there are challenges that are presented to us in how we focus as we wait for the Lord. The big lens in view in this passage is the return of Jesus. And this is the great wedding feast, which is, I believe, the great affection of Jesus' heart for the joy that was set before him. The the, the Lord endured the cross um, because he was looking to the time that him and his bride would unite for eternity. What a wonderful picture of the love uh, of God and that is the joy that is in Jesus' heart. It is a joy that longs to be with us and I really felt just a brief uh, touch of that love this morning when Debbie, it's been packed hasn't it this morning, but somehow Debbie managed to shoehorn a bit of time in there to get us to think and to wait and to reflect 
I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm not always massively helped by stained glass windows, but I don't often see them where I am down in Southcroft. But uh, it just, there's something just so beautiful, isn't there, about the light shining through. And I guess that's something that you might think about as you think about the... I saw the, the picture of your um, uh, Weekend Away, and I, I thought it was a Pink Floyd album, first of all, but, um, <laughs> but it's a picture maybe of something of the beauty of the light of Jesus shining through his church. And it's good when the church is together in the presence of the Lord. It's good when the church is together looking forward to the return of her king. Amen? And uh, that's what we want to think about this morning as we, as we think about this passage where Jesus has been helping the disciples to, to think through what's going to happen as the, as the Lord's return draws close. Remember back in chapter 24, the disciples began to ask questions about the destruction of the temple and why, what might be the signs of his coming. And so it's quite a long discourse, but that helps us to be mindful of the fact that Jesus, it's Jesus' intention, it is the Holy Spirit's intention, it is the Father's intention to help us to prepare for what's to come. He wants to prepare us. He wants us to get ready. And actually, instinctively, we know that when the Holy Spirit starts to press on a person's heart and life, and you know it in your own life, when the Holy Spirit, when you're really conscious of the Holy Spirit's presence, you want to get ready. You know that the Lord's approach is, is soon. And so we need to be a people uh, in this generation to think and to be prepared to um, examine ourselves that we are ready and to exhort one another to get ready for the Lord's return. And so the picture, the image in mind as Jesus tells this um, parable is one of a wedding. And a wedding is obviously something which is quite familiar to us. It wasn't too long ago that we were celebrating Jan and Maria's wedding here. And uh, we just about got it right on the second go, didn't we, Um, when these guys came down. But uh, our our understanding, our Western understanding of of a wedding and a marriage is a little bit removed from the, the wedding uh, that was in mind in the Jewish uh, culture. And um, the picture is, of course, that this uh, couple uh, here, the, 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 uh, the virgins, or maybe it's a picture of the church being prepared for Jesus, they're already betrothed. And I want to say this to us, church. Jesus has already got something wonderful in mind for every person here. He does. He's already prepared a place for us. He already has prepared something so wonderful that no um, eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those in Christ Jesus who love him. He's got something good in mind for you and for I. And it's a picture of a couple who are already betrothed. So it's stronger than that picture that we have in the Western context of the engagement. It would actually take a certificate of divorce for uh, the couple to be disunited or to part from that future that God has in store. So God has good things in store for every person. We're the ones that choose out. We're the ones that often turn away and reject and get focused on the, on the pressures of life and the things that press in. And so it's much, a story much like uh, we would remember as we've been going through some of the Christmas passages not too long ago, Mary and Joseph who were betrothed to one another. And, um, and so in this picture, the wedding celebrations are imminent. It's something which is coming soon. And the betrothal has already taken place. And once that had happened, what would happen is the man would then go away and he would be busy. He would be going away to prepare a place for his bride. And his attention 
was on the bride even though he wasn't with her. And so Jesus has gone away from this earth, but his attention, his focus is on his bride. He's gone away to prepare a place. And that is true in Jewish culture. The man would go away and he'd say, I'm going away now and I'm going to prepare a place for us because I have a future in mind for you. I want to take you with me to the place where I am going. And he would go to his father's house and he would literally add on often, Maybe it was another place in the village. But this idea idea was commonly he would add on an extension to his father's house. And that was the place for his bride. He was going to take the bride to his father's house. And he would say to his wife, I'm going away now to prepare a place for you. And then I will return for you. And the, the man who was betrothed, he did not know the day or the hour of his return. Isn't this a a helpful picture for us? This is something that is very, very literally true of what would be true of uh, a traditional Jewish wedding. And so Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour, not even Jesus. So who decides when Jesus returns? Who is it? Who decides that? You're very quiet, Forrest Hill. Who decides when he returns? It is the Father. Yeah, brilliant. You've got a voice. Um, so the Father would inspect the work of his Son and he would approve it. And he would say, this place is now ready. And then he would grant permission to the Son to go and to get his bride. And when the groom returned, he would have a groomsman who would go ahead of him and would announce his coming. He would say, the time is ready. The time is ready. The groom has arrived. It's now time to go. And you know, Jesus, in his earthly ministry, had a groomsman, didn't he? Do you know who that groomsman was? Yeah, John the Baptist. That's brilliant. Uh, He was the one who summoned. He was the one who prepared the way. He was the one who announced Jesus' coming. He was the one who was challenging the people to get their hearts ready. It was a massive move of God in Israel because John the Baptist was somebody who uh, really had a prophetic calling and his face and his heart was before the Lord. And then it was turned towards the people and said, come on. Get ready. He was one, if you imagine um, somebody standing, you know, by by the side of a ship and that ship was about to leave and he was the one saying, come on, I want you to get on the boat. The boat's going to leave. And it it was very much a challenging prophetic call that it was time to prepare now because God was uh, ready to move in the nation. And so there was something there of the challenge to get people's hearts ready. I wonder, is your heart ready for the Lord this morning. John was the one who said he must increase and I must decrease. And when John told the people to get ready, it meant they had to get to know God personally. And they were in a culture that was saturated with the ideas of God, the laws of God. People understood uh, so much, if you like, externally. But, but John's challenge was you need to get your heart ready. You'd, it's not good enough to just know about God. You must know Jesus personally. This was something that was to press in on the inside and therefore it was something that exposed something of the veneer which looked good of religious uh, sacrifice but often which was actually cold-hearted towards the Lord. And that can be true of all of us. There can be times when we are red hot for God and there can be times when we're a people of slumber, a people who are not ready, are not willing to turn around. And you know, John's Life was was about expectation. It was about anticipation. It was about looking at what was imminent and, and looking at what God wanted to do in a nation. 
And we need people like John around in the church today to speak to the church and say, church, get ready for the return of your king. And to speak to the nation and say, regardless of, of where society's at, God still has good intentions for people and he wants to call people into the kingdom of God. Amen. And so we need to be a people that can learn something of that forerunner ministry. We are a people that are to think upon the actions of John because if ever there was a picture of John, I think this is it. He was one that was ready. His, his lamp was burning. He was ready to go into the purposes of God. And he wasn't doing it in the heart of Jerusalem. He was doing it out in the desert place. And don't you know that the Lord can work in those places? If you feel like you're in a wilderness place right now, Get ready for God. Get ready for him to move. Have a heart ready, full of expectation and anticipation about the, what the Lord wants to do. Because I believe that this is a, a passage which speaks to the church. Because the ministry of the church in the earth is God's method of preparing the nations, preparing one another, preparing the people for the return of Jesus. That is one of the motivations that we should have in the church. This is why the church is commissioned to declare the nature of Jesus, to declare to the nations the mercy of Jesus, but also to declare to the nations the warnings of, of the judgments that will come when Jesus returns again. Because when we engage in the Great Commission, we are preparing people, we're preparing, hopefully, our families, we're preparing the church to receive Jesus. We are a people to help one another. Get ready, get ready for the return of Jesus. And just as John the Baptist called Israel to come into agreement with God before Jesus came and began his ministry, we need to be calling our nation, our neighborhood, our family, the person next to us, to get ready for Jesus because he is coming again and he will release his judgments and his judgments are righteous and true. And so this is the period before Jesus returns and church, the Lord is calling the church afresh, I believe, to be forerunners, just like John the Baptist was, forerunners of what is to come. So the issue at the heart of this text is not actually a theological issue. You see that there were ten um, uh, virgins, there were ten sometimes bridesmaids, it may be in your text, but there were ten people and all of them were united in the same expectation. When, when the Lord returned, he didn't say, well, you, you kind of understood and you didn't understand. They all understood, but only half of them were ready for the return. And so the issue at the heart of this text is verses 12 and 13. It says, but he replied, truly I tell you, I do not know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. And of course, this warning reads very similar to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So the challenge is this Do we, in this place, if this text is real, it, do we in this house this morning know Jesus? Are we pursuing the will of the Father? And I, I found this quite helpful. I was reading a bit about the uh, traditional uh, Jewish wedding because I, I was trying to listen to the, the Ichthus Preachers Fellowship and there was only one minute of it on, on the, uh, today's text. So I'm just ready to uh, hear everything I got wrong afterwards. But anyway, uh, I was reading to, uh, listening to uh, a bit of um, William Barclay's notes on this. And I thought this was quite helpful because he, he uh, had uh, read about another person who'd been at one of these um, wedding occasions in Palestine. 
And it says this, the whole village turned out to accompany the couple to their new home and they went by the longest possible road in order that they might receive the glad good wishes of as many people as possible. Everyone runs uh, the, the Jewish uh, saying from 6 to 60, well, 6 to 90 maybe, um, will follow the marriage drum. The rabbis agreed that a man might even abandon the study of the law to share in the joy of a wedding feast. And the point of the, the story lies in something which is, which is different to what we're familiar with, but the focus is very much on the, on the man and, uh, and, and not so much um, the, the lady. But it says this, uh, Dr. J. Alexander Findlay tells of what he himself saw in Palestine. When we were approaching the gates of a Galilean town, uh, he writes, I caught sight of ten maidens gaily clad and playing some kind of musical instrument as they danced along the road in front of our car. And when I asked what they were doing, the dragoman told me that they were going to keep the bride company until her bridegroom arrived. I asked him if there was any chance of us seeing the wedding, but he shook his head, saying in effect, it might be tonight, it might be tomorrow night, or in a fortnight's time. Nobody ever knows for certain. <laughs> Those anxious 20 minutes before your bride comes, and this could be any time, how about that? Okay. <laughs> then he went on to explain that one of the great things to do, if you could, at a middle-class wedding in Pal Palestine, was to catch the bridal party napping. So the bridegroom comes unexpectedly, and sometimes in the middle of the night. It is true that he is required by public opinion to send a man along the street to shout, Behold, the bridegroom is coming! But that may happen at any time. So the bridal party have to be ready to go out into the street at any time to meet him whenever he chooses to come. Other important points are that no one is allowed on the streets after dark without a lighted lamp, and also that when the bridegroom has once arrived and the door has been shut, latecomers to the ceremony are not admitted. How about that? Um, so, we're reading in this parable that it is so important to have that additional oil. That is what separates. It's not a theological thing here. It's whether or not there is oil. And so obviously oil is significant and we know, I'm sure, in this congregation that it represents something important of the presence of the Lord. It's used for anointing kings and of healing people, of, of touching people on the forehead of the presence of God, the very life of God. And, you know, the thing is this, we might read that story and think, gosh, these guys might be wise, but they're pretty shrewd and maybe a little bit selfish because when the bridegroom actually appears, they've got all this oil and they're not willing to share it with someone else. And, and, and I guess that's what stands out to us when we first read it. Certainly what I, what I picked out from the text as well. But listen, you remember um, this is representing the presence of God and actually this is some commodity that we ourselves, we don't own. So we can't give that to someone else. We might be an example to someone else. We might uh, teach the scriptures to someone else. Roger and Faith are doing that in their lives all the time. They're being a good example. They're teaching the scriptures. They're living it out. But ultimately, when everything's stripped away, when we stand before the Lord, there is a commodity that's in God which is available to all of us that we ourselves might not be accepting, that we ourselves might not be fulfilling. And if it, that is the case, then we ourselves are ultimately a lamp 
without any light. We're a lamp without any oil within ourselves. Do you remember that Simon Bar-Jesus saw the evidence of God's spirit and he requested an anointing and he wanted to do the same by an offering of money and that was a transaction that could never work. So um, these wise um, virgins, they know that they don't possess something that they can give to another. You and I, and this is the thing, it presses it into us. You must cultivate your own relationship with the Lord. I've had sometimes people say to me, I don't want to be a part of this, it's been a while, but (laughs) I don't want to be a part of this church because I'm not being fed. I've had a person say that to me before. Now listen, you have to take responsibility for your own relationship with the Lord. Look at what the children of Israel were taught when the manna was provided for, for them out of heaven. That was a provision out of heaven that they themselves had to go out and collect for themselves, for themselves and for their own family. There was a responsibility that the people of God are, are sometimes not taken up, though the provision is there. Jesus said, I am the daily bread. Now, are we partaking of the provision that God has given to us? So, you must go to the Lord. This is about you. And we've heard it in the promises over the birthday gifts this morning. Do you remember that picture? This was the covenant that God has made between me and you. Are we fulfilling our side of the bargain? Are we receiving what the Lord has given to us? Do we, not the person next to me, have a real relationship with Jesus? Are we born again? Have we asked Jesus to forgive us and to fill us? And if we have, What is our present circumstances looking like in relation to the return of Jesus? What does it look like for us to realize that one day the door will close? What does it mean for us to realize that this is a picture really like like Noah and the ark, that one day that door closed? And for 120 years maybe, Noah probably looked crazy for preparing himself for these coming rains. And he was talking and speaking of what was to come. And God's desire was that people would get onto that ark. And maybe people laughed at him and thought he was crazy. But ultimately, Noah did not close the door. The door was closed behind him. And so we are to look at this and think about, how can I live? How can I live with a sense of expectation? How can I live prayerful and watchful over the life that the Lord has given to me. And I just want to give us a few challenges before we end. What does it look like to be prepared? Well, one of the things is watchfulness. The Lord talks about waiting with expectation. And when we read through the New Testament, we realize how many times the, the writers of the New Testament talk about the coming of the Lord. It was in their minds. It was in their hearts. It was in the impression of what the Holy Spirit was teaching the church. It's also about an awareness of God's presence that we can take with us in our everyday. Um, Greg Boyd um, often writes little post-it notes and, uh, to himself. Um, actually, it's quite funny sitting on the stage at Revive because you can see all these kind of squiggles that he's got all over his text. Uh, but one of the things that he often writes is, are you, are you awake? Are you awake? And I guess it's a challenge for us to think about, um, are we awake to the presence of God? Are we awake to the goodness of God in this moment? Because we can hear a sermon like this and think, oh, you know, that's, that's just a heavy warning. But actually, it's important for us to heed warnings and also to think that if I've heard the warning, that's great. I'm in a place where I am ready to be responsive 
to the things that the Lord wants me to do. And it's so good to think, well, what can I give to the Lord? Well, I can only really give to the Lord now. I can only really give to the Lord today. And so I want to do that. I want to be aware and I want to be awake to what the Lord wants to do. That's the second thing. A third thing is willingness. Are we willing, therefore, if this is true, to take some steps for God, to step out for God? There aren't an awful lot of people around in the church in the UK that are taking bold steps for God, that are stepping out. And that's why it's been fantastic to hear about these uh, attempts at, at church planting, moving with the course of what the Lord wants to do in a new area. And I th- I'm not sure if it was one of those churches, but when I was there about a year ago, um, uh, it was a brand new church plant, and um, uh, Milan asked me if I would preach there in the morning, and it was a tiny little room, a tiny little room, probably about the size of probably two, two of these um, pews, and, and, and I was literally pinned against the wall preaching to about 40 people, and about seven of them were Hindus, uh, and they were there because they were aware that Jesus is healing, and Jesus is changing lives, and Jesus is uh, giving people a new heart. And so people are pressing in because they want to be where the life of God is. They want to be where the oil is. They want to be where the light is. And uh, we want that too, don't we, uh, for one another. So it's a willingness as well. So why don't we just quieten our hearts, and I'm just going to pray. Uh, now, why don't we just, just hold some of the things that have come out of this text now. Lord Jesus, Lord, we just want to hear you. And we want to be conscious by the reality of the things that you've been seeing uh, as to where we're at. Are we an, oil, uh, an oiled lamp? Are we a lamp with oil? Do we have an awareness and a readiness, Lord? Are we prepared to think about not just the mercy of Jesus, but the judgments of Jesus? And Lord, we want to be a people who are ready. And particularly, Lord, I want to pray for anyone here who's unsure of their um, standing before you. Um, And it's not a standing before us. It's not even so much a standing before the church, but it's a standing before you. And uh, Lord, when you come back, uh, you want us to be prepared because you have prepared for us and you have prepared a way for us and you've given us everything that we might need uh, so that we might live a life of abundance. And so I really want to pray first for those who are unsure. And if you're unsure, would you just pray this prayer in your heart now? Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the cross. I want to thank you that you've demonstrated your ability Uh, in self-sacrifice to make a way for me. Lord, I'm a sinner and I've fallen short of your grace in so many ways. But Lord, you've made a way through your own precious blood. And I want to receive you, not just a knowledge of you, but I want to receive the life of God. I want to receive the oil of God into my heart. And I want to start to burn for you. I've burned for other things and I'm burnt out. But now I want to live, and I want to live in fellowship with you. I want to love you. I want to know you, and I want to walk with you. And Lord, and secondly, I want to pray uh, for those people um, whose uh, light has become dim. And you know, there's this wonderful encouragement from Scripture that not even a smoldering wick will he snuff out. And even if you're just a little burning ember, know that today is a great day not only to be saved, but it's a great day to be filled. And so, Father, I pray the Holy Spirit to fall upon those that would need um, fresh oil, fresh oil, fresh oil, fresh oil. That's the only life that God recognizes. It's the oil of his spirit. We don't want to be those that when the door is closed, he says, 
I, I never knew you. You were made to know him. And he wants to know you. He wants to know you. He wants to have fellowship with you. So let's receive from that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.